I don't know if I've ever done this here or if God's ever moved upon me this way. But I'm actually um, going to delay bringing the message that I had prepared for this week until next week. During our time of worship, I just felt God, um, particularly where it comes to the idea of surrender, just move upon me in a little bit of a different way. And so I'm going to talk about surrender this morning. And since I don't have prepared remarks, I apologize if it turns into a little bit of wandering here, but I'll do my best to to bring this to you. And I want to do that through bringing a message from the book of Acts, chapter 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to talk this morning about a man who was called by God probably at an early age. And we know that he pursued this calling to the point that he could with the knowledge that he had at the time. And not only did he pursue this calling, but he excelled at this calling. He was probably one of the greatest minds in history up until that point from the human perspective, next to Jesus, of course, but one of the greatest minds when it came to theology, when it came to knowing the Bible, when it came to knowing everything that had to do with his religion at that time, it would have been this man. And this man's name is Saul, who will later be known as Paul the Apostle. The greatest, probably one of the greatest of the apostles is that the Apostle Paul gave us most of the New Testament, most of our theology, most of our understanding, most of our church practice. It all came from the Apostle Paul. But there was a point in his life where he was rebelling against God. And it's, it's very much indicated through the story of his conversion to Christianity. And we'll see how God had to um, grab a hold of this man and give him a shaking. And he did it in a very dramatic way. In Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked that him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if any were found who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound and did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could, not, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that even though these saints that went before did awesome things for you, that you were not shy in sharing even their failures with us, even sharing 
their lives before they came to know Jesus with us. To show us, Father, that we also need you. To show us, Lord, that even if we're not at the place you want us to be right now, you are still moving behind the scenes to bring us to that place, Lord, that where we can be used in a maximal in a maximum way, Lord. Father God, we thank you. And we ask this and we ask your blessing over this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was one of these guys, probably like many of us, where we have a, a tendency sometimes to be a little proud in what we do know. Paul had this incredible gift of intellect and this incredible um, way of being able to learn, this incredible way of being able to teach. And sometimes... When God blesses us with these kinds of gifts, when God really, really pours into us a, a gifting that amazes other people, we can sometimes become kind of proud in it. We, we, we sometimes we, we look at the gift and we forget the giver who gave it. I remember when I was uh, back in the early, or it was late 90s, early 2000s, anybody watch that show American Chopper? I don't know if anybody ever watched it. It's a, it's a show about a motorcycle shop, and they make custom bikes. And one of the, the designers, the son of the, the main owner, he's just fantastically gifted in fabrication, fantastically gifted with imagination. And he would make stuff out of metal and stuff out of different composites and just make it incredibly beautiful and put it on these motorcycles. And I would just watch this and just be amazed at the gifting that he was, he was showing the world and, and building some of these motorcycles. And I, would, I was just amazed. And I was just thinking, God, if I could just be gifted in anything to the level that you have gifted that man in. I mean, he is just incredible with how he can make these motorcycles, um, do all these different kinds of things. And... It just occurred to me that, yes, I, although it may not be as incredible as that gifting, God has gifted every single one of us with gifts that we are to lay before him. He has gifted every single one of us with abilities that really can make other people stand in awe. But the only time that God is going to bless you in this gift is if you surrender it to him. Quite often people use their gifts in such a way that brings a lot of glory to them. You see this particularly with performance arts, people who can sing, people who can play, people um, who are um, some, sometimes are worship leaders in church, but I think there are a lot of, of artists out there, performance artists like singers and, and such, that were gifted with this for the kingdom of God, but they chose to use it in a different way. I've heard um, several people um, that I respect say that Elvis Presley was actually called into the ministry. And he was supposed to be using his gift to 
to help with the church and help with worship and different things like that. Because he had such a charisma and such an, an awesome way of being able to sing and play and, and do all these different kinds of things, but he pursued it in a secular fashion. And that led to a lot of heartache within his life. We see this also in the life of Paul right here. I think that Paul was incredibly gifted in God through Stephen's death. you got to remember, Paul watched Stephen die. Stephen, if you don't remember, he was an early um, deacon within the church. He was a servant. They called up uh, council together because there's a lot of complaining that that Hebrew, the Hebrew women got more of the um, money and more of the food that came into the church to give out to the, the needy, that the Hebrews got more of it. So there was a complaint, so they, they, they essentially hired people to make sure that the food distribution was equal. And Stephen was one of these people they hired. So they raised him up, and not only did Stephen excel in this, uh, this ministry, but he used this ministry to also be able to preach the word. And so he got to tell people about Jesus. He got, he got to be able to, to bring this food to a, maybe a widow or something and say, yeah, we're going to give this to you, but let me tell you about the person behind who I'm working for. And he used it to be able to proclaim the gospel. Well, he got so good at doing his job that it, it caught the attention of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these um, people that did not want Christianity to grow at all. So they brought him in front of, their, in front of the Sanhedrin, which was the, the Jewish ruling council, and they, they accused him of heresy, of, of saying that Jesus was God. And so he gave this awesome presentation, an awesome legal defense, before the Sanhedrin. And at the end of it, he basically pointed his finger at him and said, you are the one who crucified your own Messiah. Well, they didn't want to hear that. They started freaking out, and they executed him. They stoned him to death. And it said in the, in the last part of that chapter where they're talking about Stephen stoning, that Paul watched over them as they did it and even held their clothes for him so that they could stone him to death. So Paul was there and cast a vote even that Stephen be stoned. So he saw all this, and I think that it had a tremendous effect on him. And that God started working on Paul from that moment. Because you see, the next time you see Paul's name or Saul's name, you see him saying that he was breathing out murderous threats. Before, he was probably one of the people that said, yeah, he's committing blasphemy. But now something within this incensed him to the point of, of wanting to crush this thing called Christianity. He was a man that was on a mission just so angry about what was going on that he wanted to smash and crush this thing before it got off the ground. And that's where he's at right now. And I think sometimes a lot of our anger against God is because God is moving in our lives and asking us to do something that we don't want to do. Maybe we don't want to give it up. Maybe we don't want to, to bow and change course in our lives. And so we rage against that, and it comes out in different ways that we rebel. Some people walk away from the church because God is moving in their lives so much and telling them to do these things that it pulls them away because they are so stubborn that they don't want to do it. You remember Jonah? Great case in point, right? Not only did he not want to go and, and talk to the Assyrians or the Ninevites um, about God, 
He ran a thousand miles in the opposite direction. And God got a hold of him. And in Acts chapter uh, 26, Paul is talking about his conversion experience to King Agrippa. And he says in verse 14 that he saw the blazing light and then he said, we all fell to the ground and we heard a voice and I heard a voice, this is Paul talking, saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And right here, it is hard for you to kick against the golds. Now, for many of us, that may not, that may not mean a lot. Uh, maybe a slightly more around here because we're into farming, but um, it really meant people who knew sheep. The shepherd's staff is the traditional one is that kind of question mark looking thing. In traditional um, shepherdry in the Middle East, it was that loop, that uh, curve at the top was actually a loop with a little bit of a cord on it. And so most of the time, the shepherds never had to use that loop. They would just use the sides of their stick just to kind of tap their sheep to go in the right direction. That's, that's where we want to be with God. We want to feel the gentlest tap over here that tells us to go this way. Well, once in a while, sheep are stubborn. I don't know if you know that, but we as humans can be stubborn. We're God's sheep. We see a patch of grass over there that looks really good. So we want to keep going this way. The thing is, is that the shepherd has a little bit of a different vantage point than we do. And he might see that right on the other side of that, that great looking piece of grass is a cliff. That we're going to go walking right off if we walk toward that piece of grass. So at that point, he would take the end of the shepherd's uh, rod, which had a poker in it, a, a nice sharp jolt you know to get their attention and to kind of get over there that's the gold okay and then if we failed upon that that's where the loop came and he'd grab you right around the neck pick you up throw you in the middle of the herd where you couldn't get away again so paul had been kicking against this gold of god that god had been taking his shepherd's staff against him and jabbing him hard saying you need to listen to those words that stephen spoke before you you need to look back into the Old Testament and see that ex what he was talking about was exactly right and that he was calling Paul to pick up that mantle that fell when Stephen died and to carry that message out into the entire world. In other words, Paul needed to surrender. Paul needed to surrender. It's interesting that God had to knock him off his high horse in a supernatural way to get his intention, or to get his attention. So I want to ask you this morning, are you feeling God's poking? Is there anything in your life that God is, is jabbing that gold into you right now to tell you you need to walk in this way. You've been walking this way most of your life. Or maybe you've been walking the straight and narrow. But now you're starting to go this way. God's starting to gold you. These golds from God, I think, are going to get more and more intense in these last days. Because it used to be a Christian, if they're walking this nice straight path, 
If they wandered a little bit this way, they'd be okay for a long time. The problem is, is that there is no wa gradual wandering. It just seems to be, and I see this throughout, you know, hearing people I knew that were, were solid Christians for years, they kind of go like this and then go like this, suddenly. It just seems to be an all or nothing thing. So if God is goading you any way this morning, I would just encourage you to heed that spiritual warning of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why. Why well, I kind of do know why. I think the time is just getting so short right now. God wants to be able to present you to, to Christ as a wonderful bride. But the time is so short, you don't have time to wander anymore. God wants to keep you on this path. The rapture is coming soon. He wants to be able to present us as one approved, a workman that is not ashamed but has correctly handled that word of truth in our hearts. So I would ask you this morning, is there something in your life that is keeping you from following God more fully? You saw how God got a hold of Saul. Knocks him off his horse and then he made him blind. One of the, the problems with our nation right now is our eyes are open and all we're doing is looking out this way, but we never have that opportunity to close our eyes and look inward. Paul took away Saul's sight so that his pride could be laid low. Paul couldn't look at this person over here and say, oh, his flattery's crooked. He couldn't look over here and say, oh, I saw him carrying a load on the Sabbath, so I'm better than him. Or I, oh, that rabbi over there, yeah, he can't preach his way out of a wet paper bag. I'm so much better than him. The only place Paul could look for three days is inward. The only place that, that Paul had to talk to God was actually from within his heart. He couldn't read the Torah. He couldn't do anything but look inward. That's why we are in such a mess, not only as Christians today, but as a country, is because all we are doing is looking outward. We're looking for offense. We're looking for reasons to be angry. God is begging his church to quit looking outward, start looking inward, and ask, what can I do to make a difference in this world? What can I do? What do I need to change to be that peacemaker that is blessed before this world? And I pray that God doesn't have to get us to the point to make us blind like Saul. I pray that God doesn't have to totally destroy this nation to bring us back to Him. It's my prayer that, God, that we just listen to that gentle tap of that shepherd's rod instead of needing to be grabbed with that loop and thrown. So where is God tapping you this morning? Where is God goading you this morning? Or maybe you feel that noose starting to get tight around your neck because you're walking in the wrong direction. Let's all stand.
Father God, I thank you for divine interruptions. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you move in each and every one of our hearts. I ask, Father, that you make us in these last days incredibly sensitive to your word. That you open up our ears. That at the slightest cluck of your tongue, at the slightest word that comes into our hearts, that we obey instantly. That we won't even need a tap of the rod. We won't need a, definitely don't need a gold or a, or a noose around our neck to be able to hear and listen to you. Remove in us, Father, any stubborn vestige of pride. Remove within us any sense of rebellion against you. Lord, the time is just growing so short. We see the forces of Antichrist rising. Your word has plainly told us that these are the seasons in which you return. So, Father, let us just recommit our lives to you this morning. Let us commit to knowing you in intimate ways. Let us commit to obeying you in everything, Lord. Father God, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you as you search our hearts and our minds that you are, are beginning a, a house cleaning within our spirits. So that you can maximize our effectiveness for your kingdom in these last days. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. And Father, on this Independence Day weekend, I just pray for this country. Lord God, the only thing that's going to save it at this point is a revival. And that revival has to start with the people of God. So Father, revive yourself in our hearts. Put within us a new passion to live for you, to proclaim you, to work for you. Take away fear, doubt, unbelief, discouragement, Lord. Fear, especially fear as we watch the, the news. Worrying about our, that our comforts might be threatened. Help us to cast all of that aside for the sake of your kingdom in these last days, Lord. So that we can tell as many people as possible about the way of salvation, Lord. Father, we ask, Lord, that you heal our land, but most of all, Father, that you heal your church. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. We ask, Father, that you just be with us in this next week as we continue to serve you, live for you, and proclaim you through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Bless your people now in Jesus' name.